0: finally one day um you know i was about I was about eight or nine and and he threw me a fastball and i just launched this ball way over the house and, and that was that was the beginning of it all really for me in terms of knowing that, like all right bro like i got you i got you, you know? yeah.
1: what's up everybody welcome back to another episode here on youth inc presented as always by audio rama and our friends and invisalign um, back by popular demand, she is quite popular. She's been a great addition here on You Think, making a little more in front of the camera as opposed to making magic behind it, is our producer, Tasha. Tash, thanks for joining us uh, Joining us again. Last week's episode was very, very well received with your addition.
2: No, thanks for having me back. that has been fun.
1: Happy to have you.
2: Yeah. So what's going on? You know, just watching NBA playoffs, casual, like every other probably person. And I don't know. Did you watch game one?
1: I Well, I saw the highlights. You talking about the Celtics game, the Celtics talking, versus the Nets?
2: I'm talking about Celtics, yes. Did you that, watch that was that wild.
1: Game? I mean, our boy Kyrie lost his mind.
2: No, yes, he really did. And that's part of the... One of the reasons I'm bringing that up is because I'm sure, as most people who are listening saw, um, Kyrie was getting heckled by fans and he said he wanted to give them, you know, the same energy in return. He threw some fingers. He mocked back a little bit at them. But in his post like post game press conference he just said there's only so much you can take as a competitor right um it's happening more and more to him we see this on professional levels but it's also happening more and more on youth sports levels too and my question for you greg is you know what did how did you handle this as a player when you were getting heckled by fans and did you stay calm did you respond back to them how did you handle that
1: yeah it's hard you know actually i've i've actually two funny stories one as a player We were up in Seattle last year and anybody who, or not last year, but we were up in Seattle years, years back, 2015. And for anybody who's played there or just anybody who follows the NFL, their home crowd is as loud and as spirited and as into it as any crowd. It's a really, really special environment. It's a really, really cool NFL experience. It almost feels more like college. And um, right outside the visitor's tunnel, they have this group of fans. It's really spearheaded by this one guy. And it is relentless from the time you walk out in pre, you know, pre pregame, like when you come out in your t-shirt and shorts to just throw the ball around and, you know, test out the field. Then when you come back out for regular pregame, then you're in the tunnel, you know, in the tunnel going in and out for halftime. It's relentless and it's personal. It's cursing. It's, I mean, it's really, really oh, wow. aggressive. And I'll never forget. we We had tough luck up there. They had beaten us. You know, the first couple times. And in 2015, we won on like a walk-off 40 yard touchdown that I caught from cam. And I'll never forget. I saw like, you could tell our players had heard it both that day and in the past and coming off the field, they found this guy in the bleachers, man, we were absolutely ripping his ass. I mean, we were screaming at him, cussing at him. He had given us the business for years and we hadn't been able to beat him. So we kind of walked out of the tunnel with him yelling <laughs> at us. And we finally got that one shot and uh, much to Kyrie's point after the game, you can only take so much. And we, we waited till after the game, but man, we, we gave it to him pretty good. But that that's the one moment that I remember as a player where it felt, it felt good after the game. Like you just needed to get that off your chest because for the most part, 99.9% of the time, you just, you grin and bear it. It's part of the game. It's kind of part of the experience of being on the road. A lot of guys embrace it and kind of use it to fuel them. And it brings a lot of fun energy and you just kind of laugh. But that one time, man, it felt good to, it felt good to go back at them.
2: When, when you're playing, do you usually, I mean, you could tune out the noise or you just, are those remarks, some of them just stick out more than others.
1: Yeah. I think for the most part, you tune it out. I mean, if you're in an opposing stadium, you're going to hear all sorts of stuff. You know, the difference for us than the NBA guys have, I mean, even, even the major league baseball or, you know, those sports, they're just so much closer to the players. Yeah, yeah. You know, our sidelines are pretty big. Everyone's behind a wall. I mean, you, you look at an NBA game. I mean, when the players are inbounding the ball or checking in at the scores table, there's people sitting next to the bench and courtside seats. Even the people that are sitting behind the press, you know, the press row at the, at the scores table, I mean, those people are just a few feet. I mean, you could reach out and yeah. touch the players. It's a lot more intimate. I'm sure there, there's, it's a lot easier to hear what's being said, respond back. It, it's just, I think the NBA leads to a little bit more of an intimate fan environment that leads to maybe a little more back and forth with the players during the game. Necess you know, more than not so much in the NFL world where everyone's kind of back far off the sidelines, you know, they're mm-hmm. coming in and out of the tunnels when you hear most of it. But right and there's 75,000 people screaming you don't typically hear the one voice during the game like you would maybe in the other sports
2: but when you're when you're coaching your kids now as a coach how do you tell like do you tell them to respond when they're getting heckled at do you tell them to tune it out is there a time to respond not to respond
1: you no, know, we, no, we, we don't respond. And, and I have a, you know, I have a couple rules. I, I'm all about the parents of of my team and the other team being spirited, cheering, being into the game. I, I don't, you know, if the other team wants to, you know, we've played some teams where the fan, you know, the fans and the parents in the stands have like cheers and they're banging their feet on the, you know, the aluminum bleachers. And they have like choreograph like I get all that, right. Some teams thrive on that energy. Some teams really want to create that, You know, chaotic feeling. And I I respect that. I get it. I think sometimes it's an advantage for you if the opposing team is used to calm and they're used to everything being care, you know, very relaxed. And you can create a very stressful environment. Sometimes you can give your kid an advantage. I remember this past fall, Tate was playing on this in this perfect game, which is like a youth baseball organization. And they had these all state things. So they get, you know, multiple teams from the coastal area. Tate's playing on it. We go down and we're playing in a championship game against Team California. So the best you know, 10 year old players from California playing our team and Tate's pitching. It's the championship game and it's neck and neck and their parents were into it. It was a tense game. It was back and forth. I think the score was like three, three, and we were in like the fifth inning. Maybe it was four, four, whatever it was. And they have these pitch counts. So their fans started to really get going and they weren't yelling at Tate, but they were trying to create like a very chaotic experience. And, you know, you're a 10 year old kid and you're standing on the mound and the pressure's on and then the atmosphere of the people watching it starts to grow. And um, something we always talk about, I'm like, hey, you got to learn to operate in those settings now, because as you get older, those, those, those moments just continue to grow and you're going to have people screaming at you. You're going to have people when you go to an opposing gym, when you're in high school, they're going to call you out and single you out the more you can right, So like the whole idea is like, get used to it now. Well, these fans, as the game goes on, they start turning it up, turning it up. Their coach challenges that Tate has pitched too many pitches you're only allowed to throw 75 pitches and we were charting it, whatever. And he was, he had thrown 74 pitches. So I walked, I wasn't even really one of the coaches, but I, you know, it's your kid on the mound. Right. So I walked down behind the, the backstop and I'm like, no, 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 he's at 74 pitches and their fans are like, no, he's got to come out. You got to change pitchers. And I remember I looked at him. I was like, you guys worry about your team and we'll coach our kids. Right. I kind of snapped back at him. <laughs> so he starts. The you got to tell ba- him, <laughs> I, I just, you know, you get caught up in the thing. And I was like, no, you guys, you guys cheer. You guys scream. You guys do your thing. We'll coach our kids. You coach yours. That's like my cart. That's like my one thing I hate about youth sports is like you coach your kids. You cheer for your kids. Don't talk to my kids and don't, ye- don't correct my kids. Don't yell. At- I don't mean my kid. Literally. I mean, my kids on the, my kids I'm coaching. I hate when opposing fans or opposing player or coaches interact with my kids. I just, I don't like it. So long story short, he starts the next batter and he's battling, he's battling. And what do you think happens on the last pitch?
2: Does he strike him out?
1: I wish he could hit a home run. Are
2: so you the serious?
1: Kid, so the kid hits a home run. Are you
2: serious?
1: I swear to God. So he, he hits a home run. Oh, so tape, you know, what was it? Five innings. He hit his max. He left, he left the game. We were down like four to three. So, I mean, he battled hard. He did a great job. And what really pissed me off is their fans. So now we had fought hard to keep them in the game. And then the kid hit a home run. I mean, shit happens. Their fans start ragging them. Yeah. One more pitch. You wish you, I mean, they start ragging them. So I walk over there. And again, some moments we're not proud of some moments as parents, but similar well, is to this, Kyrie, is this a, is this a proud moment? Is this a non-proud um, moment? It's a moment. I don't regret.
2: All if right, that, i you know, will we'll leave it at
1: that. I wouldn't say I'm proud of it, but I walked over there and, you know, very quietly, I didn't yell across the field. The game had continued. We made a pitching change and the coaches, you know, kept going. I walked behind the dugout and I walked up to the group of parents. I said, Hey, listen, you guys can cheer. You guys can yell. I don't care if you storm the field, the kid had a home run. The kid, You can cheer all you want. You're not going to single out a kid and you're not going to single out my kid. I said, you, you guys are, you're picking the wrong battle to face here, bud. And you're like, Oh, you know, we're not, you know, I said, you were, So like we addressed it, the guy who ran the thing and I walked away and I just had to like go up there quietly and be like, listen, he's 10. You want to cheer. You want to go for it. You're not going to hurt any of our feelings, but the kid just battled his ass off. And now he's walking to center field because we're making a pitching change. You're not going to single out and yell at a 10 year old kid. So that's where I kind of draw the line. So along the lines of Kyrie where it's like, you know, sometimes you can only take so much I get it. But 99.9% of my time, my philosophy as a youth coach and as a youth parent is I don't interact with the other parents until after the game, you know, you say good job or whatever. And I don't, I don't ever interfere with the other team. I don't tell the other coach what to do. I don't tell the other players what to do. I don't interact with the other parents. Like after the game, we shake hands. Good job, coach. Good job, parents. Sometimes if it's local, we'll take a picture with some of the other kids, you know, in the snack stand or whatever. But like during the game, Everyone just coach their kids. Everyone cheer for their kids. Don't cheer against anyone else. And I tell my families on my team the same thing. Like, we're not going to cheer if a kid gets benched. We're not going to cheer if a kid gives up a home run. We're not going to like, we're not going to mock kids. We're not going to yell and attack kids. We're going to cheer for our kids. We're not going to cheer against the other kids. So that's kind of our rule. But that story, uh, that story from the fall sticks out.
2: When Tate was pitching, did he hear them heckle at him or was he just...
1: Oh no, he heard it. Yeah. He, he knew. And, and my message to him driving home was like, get used to it. You know what I mean? Like if they were banging you all over the yard and you had given up 10 runs, then they probably wouldn't have mocked you. They would have probably pitied you, right? They would have felt bad for you, but you were in there battling and maybe they weren't used to that. Maybe they were used to having a little easier and any, you know, that's going to be the way it goes. You know, people are going to always attack. And a lot of the times they do it to make themselves feel better. So like, don't play into it. You got to block it out. You need to focus on what you need to do. Focus on what your team needs you to do and get used to it now because it just gets harder. The older you get, there's going to be gym fulls of people one day hoping you miss every shot. There's going to be stands of people hoping you walk every kid. There's going to be, it doesn't matter who it is. As you get older, things get harder and it's good lessons to learn now how to operate in stressful environments. And Those are really good life lessons to me that we can get through sport. And I think operating when things are tough and things are on the line is a really good quality for kids to learn on today's show. We have the pleasure of being joined by Denver Bronco quarterback, Russell Wilson. Um, And as always, thank you so much to our presenting sponsor Invisalign. Invisalign is the number one doctor trusted brand having transformed over 12 million smiles for over 25 years Invisalign gives you the opportunity to make a trusted decision that can help you continue to build the confidence for your child. You can find your trusted provider at Invisalign.com or talk to your doctor. So now please enjoy this conversation with one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history, nine-time Pro Bowler, two Super Bowl appearances. He won Super Bowl 48 over the Denver Broncos as a member of the Seattle Seahawks, former teammate of mine, Denver Broncos quarterback, and my good friend, Russell Wilson. I hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody. welcome back to a really special episode, a special edition episode of Youth Inc. Uh, today, we are just honored to to be joined by our next guest. Um, you know one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history, nine time pro bowler, Super Bowl champion, former teammate of mine, albeit for one weird, crazy season that we'll probably touch about in a little bit, and just an all-around great guy, a good buddy of mine, um, Russell Wilson. So, dude, thank you so much for joining us here on You Think. This is this is a treat.
0: Man, it's an honor to be on here with you, Greg. Obviously, uh, man, I've always admired you, your game, uh, obviously being teammates together, you like like you said, um, but also, too, I, I'm excited because you hit me up, and I normally say no to all this stuff, but when you hit me up, I, was, I said, what are we talking about? <laughs> you go, we're going to talk about the youth, we're going to talk about life, we're going to talk about all the things. Yeah, um, so I was excited because I've been seeing uh, just the roar you've been on, the, the firestorm of all the good stuff you've been on, um, and just how, how you're building so much, uh, which I, I honestly truly admire just because of uh, obviously how you played the game, but how you've done everything off the field too. So um, from from community to charity to, to obviously uh, being in the booth uh, on Sundays, <laughs> uh, nowadays, you, you, you've
1: been kicking butt on that. So uh, to be on the podcast, I, this is a treat for me. I'm excited. Well, I appreciate it, man. And, and you were awesome. I, I wish, I wish we could have played together longer. Our, our 2020 <laughs> season of COVID, it was a wild, crazy year. It wasn't exactly the year any of us kind of envisioned when we set out there in, in February, we met at the super bowl and kind of had these big dreams of having a, a a special season. And we ended up playing in, in front of nobody and no family, no fans. We couldn't go out. It was a, it was a wild year, but the story that I always tell. And, and when people ask me, you know, I, I obviously every time I go on a show or anything, especially in the last couple of weeks, obviously we're going to touch on real quick here. You know, it's been a crazy few weeks for you. I, I saw behind the curtain a little bit out in Seattle. And, and, and of course, for, I don't know who's been living under a rock, but of course the big story in the NFL, the last couple of weeks you've been traded to Denver, but I just want to give you a chance to just speak a little bit about your time in Seattle. I mean, I, I saw first, you know, up in firsthand, just how much that city meant to you, how much it meant, you know, you going to the children's hospitals, engaging with the kids in the community at sporting events and on the youth scene. Just what did that city mean to you for really? What was your, you know, your first chapter of of what's going to be a Hall of Fame career? Well, first of all,
0: um, it meant everything to me um, to be in Seattle. Uh, I, I got drafted on, on, on April twenty seventh, twenty twelve. My dreams, you know, became true. Um, you know, I played on some amazing teams with some amazing people, amazing players, coaching staff, all that kind of stuff. And um, and then the fans, you know, they traveled, the best fans in the world, traveling all over the world, doing whatever, uh, you know, wearing the blue and green and everything else. But what, what meant more than anything else to me um, was just the community, you know, to be able to go to Children's Hospital. I remember going, uh, you know, on, on May 11th, 2012 and just going there and um, <clears throat> it was just a big um a big moment, you know, in the sense that they had no idea who I was in the children's hospital. They kind of laughed at me like, who are you again? You know, <laughs> I, <was third laughs> I got to see five or six kids that day. And then, um, you know, I asked the lady, hey, can I come back every Tuesday? And, um, and so, you know, I, I think that, you know, I've been able to see over a thousand plus kids at the children's hospital, you know, probably. And um, to, to see miracles happen, to see kids overcome obstacles and battles and to know that that's what life's really about. Um, to know that, uh, to be able to overcome and see, see, uh, kids just continue to believe and see parents come together uh, in the midst of a storm and everything else. Um, those are the moments I cherish the most. Um, obviously winning games, we, you know, it's fortunate to win more games than anybody in in 10 years, you know, but I think what was the the biggest win of them all was just knowing that, uh, you could impact people and you could impact people in in, in an amazing manner and in a really cool way was being surrounded around some amazing people too, so you know, there's there's a lot of you know confusion around everything this and that. But what I do know is is that I loved every moment I was in Seattle, and you know, and I forever cherish my moments there. And you know, I think that what I do know is that you know, obviously I love playing there. It was everything that you know meant the world to me. You know, and I always dreamed I was going to play forever there. And I think that what happens is in sports, you know, as you know better than anybody else, you know, things change, you know, things happen, and all all that kind of stuff, and you. You just take one day at a time and know that you know what god's given me an amazing opportunity to do what I love um you know for me i I want to be somewhere for a long period of time, not just a uh a short period of time you know moving forward here and so that that's always kind of been my thought process and so you know um you know the tide shifts a little bit uh you know i think as as you go throughout your career and um you know I think that's been really important to me to make sure that you know the, the this year the years coming up, the next two years, the next three years, the next five years, the next ten years of my career. Um, that, you know, you're in a place that you're, 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 you're you're going to give it your all every single day and vice versa. And so the one thing I know about Seattle, I gave it my all every day. And uh, the one thing I know about that is um, every day I woke up, you know, I tried to give everything I could. And so, uh, and I'll forever do that. And uh, I'm just forever grateful. But what's more important than anything else other than the games, just the people, you know, the people that you be able to bond with and and think back and just to know that there's been some amazing memories. So, you know, listen, what I do know about life is the one constant in life is there's always change. And I think that what I, what I do know is is that in the process of change is that um, you remember all the amazing memories and you have to look forward to the next moments. And I think that, you know, for me, it's just being in the moment right now, uh, being in the moment of you know, what, being able to go to Denver, you know, Children's Hospital, and make an impact there, to be able to help the youth there, to think about what we've been able to do with our Why Not You Foundation, and to be able to help kids, you know, and then also to be able to win games too, as well. Obviously, that's what I, you know, God's given me an amazing gift to play football and spin the spin the rock around. But I think that if I could reflect on anything in Seattle, and if I could think about whatever I would see in in, in Denver um, it would be around the youth and to be able to impact those two areas and, um, in, in Seattle and Denver and to, around the country. And so I'm just grateful, man. I'm, I have a, I have a grateful heart for every moment, every second, every, every minute of it all. Uh, the, 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 12s, you know, the, you know, the best, the best fans. And then obviously to be able to, you know, have some amazing memories and hold that trophy up and do some great things along the way. Um, it's all, you, you cherish it all. And so I'm excited about what, what's, what's ahead though. And knowing that, um, you know we got a great football team in denver too and uh, i'm excited about that and and the battle and the and the challenges ahead of us and, and knowing that um you know i, re, I really believe that's going to be a, a a great a great thing in denver as well with some amazing players amazing coaching staff coach Hackett's amazing and um the, the gm there um coach you know you know george he's great too he has a great vision they have a vision of what they want to do and how they want to do it um you know and so uh i'm excited about it and the players are excited about it too
1: yeah, so I saw, I saw you had a bunch of guys down to your, down to your house. I remember coming out there in 2020, working out with you and DK down at the field, you know, so before we move off of this, but so for 10 years, chapter one, you're in Seattle, Super Bowl champ, nine, nine out of 10 years, you're in the pro bowl, you know, household name, all that. All right. So now chapter two starts, you, you mentioned coach Hackett, you know, so what was that emotion? What, what were the mixed emotions when, when you get that call, who calls you, how do you find out, all right, Hey, it's done all this speculation, all this rumor it's happening. You're going to Denver and you're kind of starting chapter number two and you're moving into it, you know, moving into a new part of your career. Like what is that conversation? Who calls you? What is your mixed emotions saying, all right, I got to put this 10 years. It was amazing, but it's now behind me. I got to move forward with a new group and start learning new guys in a new city and, and start building, you know, the next stage of my career. Well, I still had to go fly to Denver
0: to see, you know, go there and see everything and everything else. And I think the their focus on what what the plan was for this year and the years coming ahead in terms of, um, you know, what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it was very clear. Um, and I think that was really important to me. And just knowing that, you know uh, you know, as you know, Greg, you can only play this game for so long. And so you want to maximize every moment, every second, every play. Um, and, and I think that was what was really important. And if, if it was going to be a change. Okay. Well, um, if it's gotten got to this point well I need to know that there's going to be a plan and they had a great plan and in the, in their thought process and how they thought about it and so um, I think for me um, knowing that there was going to be a change it was one of those things at that moment that okay uh, I, I gotta hit the reset button here and just just cherish all the amazing times I've had in Seattle and knowing that also too um, you know it's sports I mean every great player from Tom Brady to Brett Favre to um, yeah. So greats to um, baseball players, you think about uh, great baseball players or basketball players and everything else, it's, you know, you, you pray and hope that everything lasts forever. And that was my hope and goal. Um, but if it doesn't, um, OK, you know, now it's I, I still got I still got days left to play. I, I gotta go get every single moment, every single day, make it the best of it. And so what, I, what I'm grateful for is life. I'm grateful for just for the ability to play the game, you know, just to just to be able to do what you do, what yep. you love. And um, you, you can't take that for granted.
1: All right. So, but before the Super Bowls and before all the Pro Bowls and, and, and obviously the 10 year career you've had, and you know, you, I've heard you say you're just half, you're not even halfway done. You hope to play, you know, 10 plus more, you know, you were just a small kid playing youth sports and, and multiple sports. And, you know, before you were a minor league baseball player, before you were a dual start, dual sports star in college at NC state you were just a kid. And and the, the whole purpose of you think right now, it, it, this show is to just have these conversations with folks like yourselves, parents, athletes, you know, specialists, we talked to your boy, uh, Dr. Michael Gervais, he was off the charts, he had me like reconsidering everything in my life. But you know, I, the part is going back to where it all started. So take us back to where did Russell Wilson's athletic career start what was it like how many sports were you playing were your fa- was your family pushing it was this just something you were you always gravitated towards like this we've all seen your career over the last 10 you know decade plus but take we want to see the part we didn't see i want i want to hear more about like where this whole journey started that allowed you to kind of accomplish the things that you have up until this point
0: it started um ground balls at 5:30 in the morning playing shortstop throwing the first base with my brother it started with BP practice chasing down my brother's, uh, you know, home runs and stuff. And it started, it started with, uh, you know, late nights in the backyard we put these construction lights, these orange construction lights up. And we, we'd be hitting, uh, we'd be, we'd be hitting, you know, in the backyard and we'd playing. My brother would play one-on-one baseball against each other for nine innings and, and, uh, with a tennis ball and just, you know, hitting the ball all over the place and, we had this we had our house on the left and if it hit the ball over the house it was a grand slam you know and so my brother would just crush it over the house I had to go he'd go 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 chase it you know I had to go chase it and bring like, yeah, it back and um and uh finally one day um you know, I was about I was about eight or nine and and he threw me a fastball and I just launched this ball way over the house and and that was that was the beginning of it all really for me in terms of knowing that, like all right bro like I got you. I got you, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I mean, man, I I just think that, you know, a lot of it was uh, playing little league baseball, you know, we played, we played three a days, we played triple headers, you know, in Virginia, like all the time, you know, just constantly in the hot hundred degree weather, you play basketball, you do all this stuff, you know, and you battle, you battle, you battle. Um, you know, you play AAU basketball, you play the YMCA, you go all this different stuff that we do. I played soccer, you know, I, when I was a young kid, I, the first, one of the first sports I ever played when I was about four, I was playing soccer. I played t-ball when I was four years old, you know? So for me, I, I go back to the one memory though, I really clearly go back to is playing in the backyard at my grandfather's house in Norfolk state. Uh, he was the president of Norfolk state for 22 years and I, and he had this awesome backyard, this cool fence. And, and I remember I was four years old and uh, my dad was pitching to me. And my grandfather too. And uh, he, my grandfather's a big lefty. And he threw me, he threw me a fastball, and I hit the ball out of out of the park. Um, and i run around the bases, and I hold the bat. You know, so I, I go back to those days, man, when I was young. Uh, I was with Future Today, and you know, he, got, he had to, he was pitching today, and got to you know after practice, I always spend time with him where I, I work on the little things that we could work on. You know, could, could work on a day. So I was working on getting that knee kick and yeah. and then running and running the bases and so we did that for 30 minutes afterwards just to give him that sway. he's like dad come on man come on I'm like well you want you want to have the fun and you know later in life you got to do this kind of work early so um so anyways it was it was cool you know, but all those memories have impacted me as a father and as a and to be able to be a coach and dad too at the same time and and also you know obviously be a player at, you know right now
1: it's the best. I mean, coaching your kids and being part of, I, I, my son had two baseball, my nine-year-old had two baseball games today, and it was a range of emotions of exhaustion, thrills, frustration. It's all wrapped in one. I find it really interesting when I ask you to give, to give our viewers a sense of your, you know, youth baseball, man. And I know this from sitting on you on the planes. We had some awesome conversations going to, and and coming home from games that year. And baseball was always, and, and trust me, you football, I've told stories about you and your prep and whatnot, but like baseball is special to, you no? I mean, it just seems like you're, you're growing up and we're going to talk about your time in the minor leagues and dual three, you know, playing in, you know, dual sport in college. But like for you to pick a baseball story, I think is super telling about just how much of a love you had for the game at oh, a yeah. young age.
0: Yeah, no, I, I love playing baseball, man. It was, it was my, it was my favorite sport. Everybody would probably say that was my best sport growing up. Um, you know, it was my sport that I was just naturally really good. At. I played shortstop pitched. Um, but it was the thing I love doing, man. Just, God, could you not, you know, the, the smell of the grass, even nowadays when I go out to little league field or go to a big league game, you, you get the you get to see the perfectly cut grass, the infield, the dirt. You know I mean, it's just, it, it, there's a, this, uh, there's a certain feeling to it. Um, it's the best. So yeah, baseball, Baseball, I think has helped me play the game of quarterback too, though. You know, you think about, all the side throws, side arm throws, the, the movement, just the, the yeah. being able to see peripherally. Uh, I think all that
1: stuff really helps. Totally. So, so now where, where does football enter this mix? You know, you're telling stories about, you know, you and your family, your father, your grandfather, your brother, and you guys are playing in the backyard and you're growing up playing Little League. And so, like, where does your football journey, like at, at what age is it saying, all right, Russ, you know, I know you're really good at baseball, but let, let's not ignore this this quarterback thing we we got a we got a pretty good shot here I mean is it not until you yeah. get to high school is it middle school like where does the football journey start well well, two stories I think you know my dad played for the San Diego Chargers
0: for a little bit got cut played with Dan Fouts and Kellen senior and he had this ball he caught I guess a touchdown against the Forty ers and it was painted and we yeah. used to throw it all the time I mean my brother and I would just throw it out on the house and dive and catch it and uh, one day I ended up breaking up, breaking something in my mind. I kind of down. So that, that was kind of my first like days of just like throwing the ball around all the time. And, I and how really, old I are really, you here? I'm four or five. Yeah. You're a kid. Uh, yeah. You're baby. Yeah. Yeah. I was young, but fast forward though. Um, <clears throat> you know, my first time really playing, I mean, we used to play outside in, you know Virginia, you'd play it and you get all four seasons. So you'd play in the snow. You'd play in the good summer times. So you'd always be out playing outside. And, you know, I was a video game guy, but I, I love playing outside. So, we used to play tackle football, two-hand touch, all that stuff, you know, recess and, you know, after school and all that. But the first time I really got to play um, was actually I was in going – I was end of sixth grade, going into seventh grade. And I hadn't played tackle football yet, man, you know, in terms of helmets and shoulder pads and all that. And so I'd been playing AU baseball. I was – you know, baseball, like I said, it was like my biggest sport at the time. And I, I begged my mom to let me play football. She was like, ah, yeah, she, she was cool with me playing football, but she didn't, really want, she didn't really want me to have a helmet and shoulder pads on yet. And so anyways, my dad was kind of like, you know what, let's just wait a little bit. Da, da, da. Okay, so I'm playing AU baseball. We're playing, um, we're playing down in like, you know, North Carolina or somewhere. And at the time, my, my, my assistant head baseball coach at the time, uh, his, his, uh, his son played on this league called Tuckahoe Tomahawks. And it was a little league football team, Tuggo Tomhawks. Okay. So anyways, Tuggo Tomhawks, like, we had this football and we were throwing, we always always throw after the baseball games in between the double headers, we throw football and everybody's like, oh man, like I throw this launch this ball. Right? And so anyways, you know, Schmitty, was his name. He ended up coming up to me. He was like, Hey, listen, man, like you talked talk to my dad. He talked to my dad and me. He's like, you got to come out and try out for the Tuggo Tomhawks. Well, fast forward that I begged my dad, they let me go. It was a Friday night. I go to practice. And I get to practice a little bit late because I was coming from something baseball, I think, or something else. I get there late, and it's under the lights. And they had these little TD, what, Wilson TD footballs yeah. or whatever. And I launch this ball 55, 60 yards. And I'm, I'm young, right? So I launch this ball. I mean, I'm, whoo, right? And everybody's like, what in the world, you know? So anyways, the next day, it's a game day, and we're about to play Highland Springs. And Highland Springs is, like, the best high school team, you know, or the best uh, – it's actually the best high school team at the time. But they also had – the best little league team they were like number one and everything else so fast forward we played them and it was the first play of the game and they i didn't play i was on the bench and it was the next day after that friday night so saturday morning boom first play of the game bam a quarterback gets hit busts his spleen like true story busts his spleen he's on the ground <laughs> it was like oh no like what is going on okay i i'm entering into the game russ you're in but I draw the plays in the dirt. I think we win like sixty to seven, something crazy. I end up drawing the plays in the dirt, and that was my first first football game. So you I, got like twenty
1: four out. You got like twenty four oh, hour notice. Not
0: even. Not I, even. I lit it up. I, I lit it up though. It was it was the <laughs> coolest experience, and that's when my love for football really really took over. And um, I just was playing all the time. But I,
1: I used to always play, with, you know, my brother and and you know, all that kind of stuff too. That's awesome. So a question we get from a lot of our viewers and, I, and a lot of the families that we speak to is how does my kid balance loving multiple different sports and especially in today's world, even different than how we grew up where, you know, you could play seasonal sports back then and not really feel like you're missing anything, but in the, in the culture we're growing up in now in, the, in this climate. Everything is so specialized, the sports, the positions where there's this sense of if I don't have my kid committed to a young, you know, to a sport at a young age, basketball, baseball, whatever it is, I can't keep up with all the other kids who are getting those reps year round. If I take the fall off to play football, when I rejoin my baseball team in the spring, I'm falling behind because those kids aren't playing football. So like, what do you say to those families? How did you do it first? and then what is your philosophy on that like how do how do you encourage kids to continue to play multiple sports and not fear that you're going to fall behind when that next season comes when none of your other peers or not all of your peers are on a similar schedule
0: well, well my belief is this if you're if you're a parent and you're limiting your kids just to playing one sport i think you're wrong for that because i think that what the, the thing about playing multiple sports is a few things number 1 I said, your, your hand-eye coordination as a boy or a girl, you you learn so much more the more you do. So if I'm playing soccer, now I'm using my feet, my hand and my feet, my eyes and my feet, right? Uh, if I'm playing goalie, whatever it may be. If I'm playing baseball, right, just to be able to move sh- side-shuffle from side to side, to be able to catch a fly ball is one of the most talented things yeah. in the world to do, to be able to track a ball. Hence, fast forward, great receivers, great tight ends. Their ability to catch a ball, a lot of times because – they were able to play play these sports when they were younger and they'd be able to turn their head and, and be able to find the ball and to be able to still keep their equilibrium <laughs> intact yeah. in away way when they're running and looking up in the air and getting pushed around and to play, be able to play basketball, to be able to in, be in shape and go up and down the court and to jump and to catch and to shoot. Like that ability. But more importantly, okay, that's the first part. That's the talent part. And that's the skill part. but But socially, I think the ability to be able to – be in all these different games, and to be able to have high emotions, and to be able to be at a, at a low state, and then you know, baseball will take your soul away. <laughs> you, know? Oh. you know, going that in three hundred, I, I always tell future. It's like going three for ten, like you're a hall of famer. Yeah. You know, it's like,
1: that, like oh. you know, going three for at the youth football, level, it's a it's a struggle. At the youth level, God, it
0: is. And then you know, it's like so it, it can it can take your energy away. And so to be able to to be able to play these different sports and to know that. There's going to be highs and lows to be able to get overcome, to be able to come back in a game. Like one of my favorite things in sports is to be able to come back. But how did I I learn how to do that? Well, I learned how to do it when you're down by five and, and you know, it's the ninth inning or the seventh inning in a baseball game, you know, and and just continue to flip your hats and do the rally hats. You know, it's like those moments like that, you can't can't get anywhere else. And so I think it's important that our kids get outside. And I think nowadays what happens as well is, is that, listen, our kids spend more time on this phone than anything else. And, and then not to mention their computers or, 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 yep. or the, or, or the video games. So I think it's so critical um, to get outside and play and play multiple sports. And listen, if you're a world-class tennis player and you're number
1: five in the world or number one in the world, that's different. Um, but most of us aren't. Yes. Yeah, so, all right. So now we're going to fast forward. You're in high school. You're a dual sports star. you you can go, you go eventually go on to play at North Carolina state, but you, you do get drafted in the, in the major league baseball draft, you get drafted out of high school and I've read quotes and I remember talking to you about it. You know, you had been to Manning passing Academy. You were a division one football recruit, but here you are, you get drafted in baseball and you have a decision on your hands. You know, they were giving, they were offering you significant money. You know, one of the, you know, the highest paid guys as far as that round pick uh, uh, coming out of high school that they, that they've had. And I've talked to you about it and I've read some articles where you're quoting, you're saying like, I had a really big decision. So what was that decision? You know, how, how did you end up deciding that you were going to continue on, go to college, continue to play dual sports, and you weren't mm-hmm. going to take that professional baseball route? By your own words was your, true, your first true love.
0: Yeah, well, I got offered. Um, I was, you know, really good in baseball to high school. I got, I got calls in the late first, beginning of the second round. I got offered $1.1, $1. 1, $1. $1.2 million. Before the draft, I, I, I told my dad and I told, uh, you know, the, the other teams, that hey, listen, I want $1.5 or I'm not going to go. Um, just because of taxes and all that stuff. And I had this amazing opportunity to play football and baseball at NC State. So I I didn't need to rush to do this. And, and, uh, you know, obviously football meant a lot to me too, so I wanted to make sure it was right. If I was going to go to college, though, my whole thing and all the colleges knew that if I was going to go to college, I'm going to play two sports. I'm not just going to go to college just to play football or just to play baseball because I had this amazing opportunity in baseball. Why would I just leave to go play one? So anyways, I got offered 1.1, 1.2, turned it down, uh, still got drafted late, late um, and around, and they still offered me, uh, Orioles offered me 1.1 or whatever it was, and uh, just kind of, you know, just already decided, hey, I'm going to go to college. Well, the thing was, my dad said to me, well, as soon as, I, as soon as I did that, he said, I need you to graduate in three years. I'm like, graduate in three years? How am I going to do that? He's like, well, you are going to take 18 credits every semester, and you're going to graduate early. And I'm like, hey, you got to promise me you're going to graduate in three years, just so you, you know, so you, once you're done with school, uh, if you do get drafted, you don't ever have to go back, if, you know, and you, you went on a full scholarship. So I said, okay, I promised him, shook hands with him. He said, shook hands with me, shook hands with him. And I go to college. Um, as soon as I get there, my dad gets sick. And I kind of just spent, spun my world all the way upside down. And uh, it was challenging, you know, You know, when you see somebody that, you, you know, was one of the most active people, one of the most brilliant people, go through what he had to go through. He had to get his leg amputated. He suffered a, a suffer stroke. Several strokes, suffered a stroke, then went into a coma, was in a, in a coma for three and a half weeks. They told him he wouldn't live any longer uh, by God's grace and a miracle by my mom praying over him. And she sang this song, All by Grace, to him in his left ear. And uh, the doctors, you know, she, she you know, she kind of, he, he, he kind of moved. And the doctors, she went to go get the doctors. The doctors didn't believe her. She said, No, no, just watch. She started singing the song, All by Grace, to him again. He moves his right hand, he moves his left hand. She says, Move your right foot, move your left foot. He wakes up right there. Now, remember, he'd been in a coma for three and a half weeks, hadn't moved. And that's when I really started believing in miracles. And whatever God had for me, I was going to just trust in that and just know that it, it was going to be good. And uh, sure enough, I obviously played football and baseball at NC State. Um, and just to be able to be in close proximity to my dad, I'd drive up to, to, to Richmond, Virginia from Raleigh, North Carolina. People wouldn't know it, but I'd sneak up and go see my dad and come right back. Um, and those moments I cherished, you know, those, those times I cherished because um, – it was just really special. It was really special. Um, even though he, had lost, he lost his life, as soon as I got drafted, I got drafted June 8th, 2010. Um, the next day, my June ninth, 2010, my dad passed away. I got drafted by Colorado Rockies. And I think that's, you know, that, that's part of the reason why, you know, um, you know the Rockies have been important to me That Denver just as a whole because how they treated me, how they treated my family. Um, and so it's just kind of how amazing how things work and how the world just kind of comes all together, how much, you know, uh you know seattle meant to me um to be able to know i could impact that city and and all that and and and, but also too to know that you know this is where you know my professional life also began too uh in in baseball but just how how that organization you know helped me in, in so many ways because i was i was at a low i was at a pretty pretty big low in those days um for a little bit and uh what i what i found was that the sun still comes up in the morning and so, man, like I said, baseball means a lot to me, man. It taught me a lot. It taught me about adversity. It taught me about challenges. It taught me how to have amnesia, you know, to that, you know, you have to be able to have amnesia when, when, when a one pitch goes by you or, or you, you miss, miss a ground ball or, or, or you just hit a home run or whatever's good going on in life. Sometimes you got to be able to just focus on the next pitch. And uh, that's, what, that's what it really taught
1: me in life. I, I just really appreciate your your willingness to kind of share that personal side i just I think it's so important sometimes for our viewers and fans and everyone that obviously knows you from afar to just really get some insight into what motivates you and what moves you I, I've heard you've shared that story with me you know in in a personal setting um you know kind of one on one but to, to hear you share that with our audience and everyone and just give them a, an insight into you know your soul and an insight into your motivations and your why and And just everything that shaped you to be the person that they all see on Sundays and they see, you know, in the press conferences and whatnot. I just think it's so important because for so, so often we, we forget that behind all these athletes is there's a humanity, right? There's a human element to this. They have emotions, they have ups and they have downs. And and a lot of those ups and downs are what shape us to be who we are. So I I just think it's such a, a, such a relevant part of the story, your connection with your father and your love and that connection of sport and the connect and that love that you two shared and your connection to baseball and, and bass and, and football and how it kind of shaped your path. I, I just find, I, I always find that all that stuff works out for a reason. It's not a mystery why now all of a sudden you're back in Colorado and Denver, like it all comes full circle. And I think that story is just such an important part of the story to kind of wow. weave all of it together. Yeah. You know, I also,
0: Greg, I, you know, I, what I, what I find
1: is, is that
0: early on in my career, I think I was more, I was more just so quiet because I, you know, I'm a third round pick. So for the pick trying to, just trying to make it, you know, the team, you know, and yeah. what I found is, is as I was able to impact more people and to be able to, you know, go to more rooms and hospital rooms and to be able to tell, you know, my story and, you know, part of my story about just life and how, you know, it, it hasn't always been, um, you know, you know, cherries and, you know, on top, you yeah. know, it's it's been some stuff that you battle through, you go through just like anybody else. And I think we all struggle with different things or whatever it may be. But what I, what I do find is, is that um, through speaking about life, to speaking, to, to, to share your testimony with people, um, you know, I you know, I'm a spiritual guy, but to be able to share my testimonies, to be able to share the things I've gone through, my hope and my prayers that it impacts and influences somebody else to share theirs, but also to be able to keep going. You know, if, if my dad could say one thing, he'd say, son, just keep going, you know, just keep going. Just know, keep going. So I think, I think
1: that's that's super powerful stuff, man. I, I sure. think everyone has that moment that they can think back to. I, I can think of about ten off the top of my head where you just you have no choice but to just wake up and keep going. Yeah, you sure. have no choice. Well, the the last part of that chapter before eventually you go on and you get drafted, and of course that your your first ten years of of, of your NFL career, everyone's kind of watched play out the Super Bowls and whatnot we've touched. But the final really interesting chapter of of, of this whole journey before your NFL career was you kind of reached a, a tipping point there at, at NC State. You were, really, you were really motivated to continue pursuing football and baseball. Um, you had some conversations with the coach at the time, um, and there was some disconnect about whether the school really wanted you to continue to pursue pursue both. And you made the decision to – you were, you were able to leave early. You had one more year left of, of eligibility and you ended up finishing your career at Wisconsin and went on to play in Rose Bowls and then eventually become you know, a draft pick, obviously, in, in Seattle. But what, what was that time like? You know, how, how you were so committed to being a dual sport player in college that you were willing to change schools over it. I, I find that really impressive that you really believed in yourself and really believed that that was what was in your best interest, that you stuck to your guns and made what you thought at the time was the best decision for you.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I had graduated early in three years. Yep. I played at NC State, loved it all. It was an amazing experience. And like I said earlier, I mean, God putting me there was was just by his grace to be able to put me there, um, to be able to go there. Um, and I never forget, I walked off the field. Um, we just beat West Virginia and we had walked off the field and I could go back from the bowl game and Champ Sports Bowl in Orlando. And I get back to the hotel, all excited, all fired up and, just excited about you know being able to play both sports and you know everything else. And my whole plan was to come back to NC State and do all that. And uh, I never forget, you know, my, my agent Mark. You know, he was my advisor at the time. He comes up to me and says, "If they want you, uh, Coach O'Brien thinks that uh, you need to just go play baseball. Your time's up here." And I'm like, "Huh?" And this is and this is an hour after the thing, and I need to talk to you about it because uh, you know there's there's one there's one rule that I found, um, and I said, "Well, what is it?" And he said, "Well, because you graduated, you can actually transfer, to go to any school you want to in the country, um, because you graduated." And I'm like, "Well, I don't really want to leave, but you know, what, 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 tell me more." He basically said that you know they they're ready to move on. They had Mike Lynn as a quarterback at the time, or be behind me backing up, and that was their plan. They wanted to be able to go with Mike, and I, you know, I it was, that was a tough tough thing to do. And you know, I, I just asked for the opportunity to compete. Hey, just give me the opportunity to compete. And uh, he said, no, we're, this is what we're going to do. And so I said, okay. I said, you know, so then I still in my back of my mind, I still thought I was going to be able to go back there. I said, like, there's just no way. So I went to go play, you know, spring training ball and all that. Baseball did that. Um, was in Nashville, North Carolina at the time playing. And I'll never forget, I was in Rome, Georgia on, on, on the third floor of the Holiday Inn. And I called Coach O'Brien. I said to him, I said, hey, you know, um, it's April 27th, ironically. Which is an important date. Once again, that's the day I got drafted a year later. Uh, it's April twenty seventh, and I call him and I say, "Hey, you know, um, I I, w- I want to come back to play football and baseball. I want to come back to NC State and finish my my senior year up there." And he said, "No, we're, like I said, we're, we're going in a different direction." And that was when it was time. Like, okay, like he and I asked, like, "Can I just compete for the starting job?" And he said, "No." And it was kind of a crazy situation. So, but the thing was, is that. I was okay knowing that you know what if this is if this is what God wants this is I'll be whatever you want God I'll do and so fast forward I just prayed about it asked for my transfer papers and then I was hitting BP at four o'clock I was in the four o'clock group the first hitting group I go back to my locker at four fifteen we're playing the Rome uh, we're playing in Rome Georgia against Atlanta Braves organization I go back to my locker and next thing I know my phone was buzzing and it was Auburn Tigers it was Gene Schisgall calling me and I and I, I missed the call I called him back. You go, hey, this is this is Gene Chiswick from Auburn Tigers. We want you to come to Auburn. And that was the first call, second call, another SEC school, and several other calls that day, that night. Big Ten, uh, Pac-12. I was getting all these calls within 24 hours. And uh it just my life just flipped up, you know, upside down, but in a positive way, whatever, you know, just and and so the hardest part was making the decision, do I still play baseball or do I just play football? So I just kept playing baseball, stayed focused on that. But I ended up taking two visits, Auburn, Wisconsin, and I uh, liked both schools. Both were amazing. Um, but when I got to Wisconsin, I knew it was f- for me. And the reason why I knew it was for me was because uh, they love football, number one. Number two, obviously both schools do in Auburn, Wisconsin. But number two was that, that um, they had this big pro line. There was the third biggest line in football. Uh, you know, they had, the, the, they had the le- Our left tackle, Ricky Wagner, our left guard was Travis Frederick. Our center was Peter Kahn's. Our right guard uh, was uh, Kevin Zeitler. Our right tackle was this guy named Oglesby. And then we also had Havenstein as the backup right tackle. So, And for me, being 5'11", it was like, you know what? People can't say anything. If I go ball here and people, people can't say anything, you know, if I get to play behind this line and do great, and that's what I did. And uh, it you know, obviously worked out for me. Um, it was the best experience. I got to work with Barry Alvarez and get to be around him. I got to work with obviously Brett Bielman and Coach Paul Christ and just – some amazing players and Nick Toon, Abadaris, the guys I already mentioned, um, the lineman and uh, Monty Ball and Melvin Gordon, James White. I mean, just, it was an amazing. Yeah, you, guys amazing loaded. Yeah, you guys Yeah, loaded. It, was an amazing, it was amazing six months and some of the best six months of my life. But what it teaches you, I think more than anything else. And now obviously you see all these kids transferring now because we kind of opened up that rule. And uh yeah. it's, I think that's a, that's a, that's a good rule. The reason why I think it's a good rule is because to, 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 we go to college one to play big time sports, but we also go to college to get our education. So what it's doing is it's, it's allowing, but also in a way forcing kids to get their education earlier, which I think is a good thing because, you know, now kids are getting educated. And so I think it's important. And so anyways, though, for me though, what was really cool about it was, um, it was, I had to take that risk, you know, um, I had to take that risk. And if I didn't take that risk, I wouldn't be where I am today. And so, um, you know, sometimes in life you go through stuff, and you realize that you know what um, you want to be in a place that you're wanted. You want to be in a place that you, you can do everything you, you've ever dreamed of, and ultimately, you want to be in a place that uh, dreams as big as you. And I think that that's that's where uh, Wisconsin was a beautiful place for me. Uh, it was a place that, you know, I, I was had cherished every moment at NC State. It was it was fr- really cool, I mean, just to be able to go to that school. So I've been fortunate to be able
1: to go to two great schools. It's a, it's just such a cool story. I mean, to see a guy who was who the starting quarterback of a of an ACC program, won a bowl game, you know, just because you wanted to pursue your baseball career in the spring, and it wasn't obviously in line with the, with the way the coaches wanted to move forward. They had another guy that they wanted to go to, and there you end up at Wisconsin and play in a Rose Bowl and end up, you know, obviously going on to your career. I, I find that. Just it's it's a crazy kind of crazy way the world works. But I want to just pivot and transition a little bit. You mentioned when we when we first jumped on the call that you have a a youth sports party going on on the door behind you. Uh, You have a bunch of kids over, and and you mentioned already working with your son future, and I know you have two other little ones. So all right, so we've heard about your story and you playing with your dad, and I'm, I'm sure that has a lasting impact on how involved you are with your kids, but all right, now you're spending time at the ball fields. I see on your Instagram teaching future how to drop and you got him out on the grass. So like, which dad are you? Are you the dad that's like all in and my kid's going to do it? I'm going to be involved. I'm going to coach him the right way. Or, you know, are you the dad that's just kind of at the games trying to hide in the corner so no one bothers you? Like, what is your approach now as your kids get older and they start entering youth sports?
0: Well, you know, what I try to do is I try to, um i definitely try to coach them one-on-one when we get around each other but I, I try to let the other coaches you know do their thing um as much as i can but it makes me like itch. it's hard right at the same time, it's like godly like you know like one of my one of my things is like when when coaches say like just swing flat i'm like no don't swing flat actually like not at all like swing for the freaking fences like get some loft under that thing and hit the ball or just swing flat just no, don't do that, you know. No. Um, but, you know, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's, you know, especially with flag football, um, you know, Charlie Martin, um Seattle, you know, we, we have our flag football league and we was, we uh, NFL flag has been amazing, you know, to be the chairman of the NFL flag. It's been really, really cool. And Charlie Martin, he's he, who you know. Um, he's I mean, my president of my company, but also played with you, I think, for a little bit, but yep. whatever he, uh, what was really cool is, is that Charlie got to coach him. So I had a, I had a professional football wide receiver coaching our kids. And at the same time, when I come when I'm able to come during the season, I'll stop by on a Saturday or whatever it may be, and I get to coach and, and help out some and and uh, and do that part. And when I'm coaching, I'm coaching. I'm I'm doing my thing. But I try to not like be overbearing. I try to. But um, you know, where I where I try to get the kids more importantly is especially with future is right after the game. You know, I try to get them for my dad used to work me out 20 minutes after every game. And that 20 minutes post post the games were everything because I was tired. I had already played. And, you know, you always kind of as a kid, you kind of look around like, but all these kids are watching me. Dad, you know, focus. Like, I need you to focus on focus on what you're doing while we're doing it. This and that. And then what it does is it it inspires the other kids. But really, it motivates your son or your daughter down the road. And they really, really realize what hard work is. And um, I think that's important. I think that's really important. So I, I just, I, we what, what we have to do because I'm, you know, playing quarterback. I'm so busy all the time, meeting and meeting and meeting. What I, am fortunate to do. We have this guy named Hutton Moyer, who's Jamie Moyer's son, who played pro baseball and all that. He gets to work with future. I try to find some some players, some guys that have played the game uh, and are able to coach him. Then we have also our, my my, my uh, one of my strength coaches, Decker. It was amazing. Uh, he gets to uh work work
1: with future throughout the week as well. So it's good. We yeah, got good setup. And and does does future love it? Like, do you find your kids, do they love it? Do you feel like you need to push them? Something we we've all of our guests bring up, and and it just seems like the common thread of all these successful families and athletes is like if it's kid, if it's kid led and parent supported, that's the formula. Like, do you find future like is he into it or are you dragging oh, no, he, him out there or he's full throttle? Oh,
0: he, he's full throttle, bro. This guy's awesome. Athlete. He's 7 years old and just a premier athlete. He he can do it all. So it's it's fun, you know, he he loves flag football and playing NFL flag. You know, he takes it to the house. You know, every time he touches the ball, it's like, "Uh-oh, here we go." Yeah. Um, he it. makes spin moves and jukes and steps back and keeps going. Um, you know, he, he's pretty he's pretty amazing. Um, he got a good arm too. In baseball, he, he can swing away. He's won three run, I think three home run derbies in the past oh, 3 years. It. So he can swing it. You know, he loves it. Um, you know, he, he hates losing, you know, like his dad, he hates losing. I, I can't, I can't stand losing, you know what I mean? It's like, but,
1: um, oh, yeah, it's actually, and, I just lost my, a, I just lost a nine-year-old baseball game in the last inning on a walk off of the runner on second kid hit a base hit. We lost by a run. I'm still not really over it as I'm doing this car, con- as I'm doing this conversation with you. <laughs> it's the yeah, worst, it's, man. I'll tell you, it's people think I'm crazy, but God, man, it losing sucks. I don't care how old you are. No, it does. That for sure does. Something that I, that I kind of find myself struggling with and, and my, my, mine are a little bit older than yours, but not, you know, they're kind of in that same ballpark. My, my twins are nine and and my oldest is 10. So we're not too far ahead of you in the, in this whole process. Like the thing that I find to be my biggest struggle and, and being around you and knowing how you operate and knowing how you tick, I'd be curious, your perspective, like the, what made my career and what made me a good player is not always conducive to parenting, like never good enough, always trying to get more perfectionist, like super intense, always dialed. Like, and then when you try to implement that on an eight, nine year old kid, like there's some tension there. It doesn't really connect all the time. So like, how do you turn off your approach to your personal career? And then your approach to working with your children and the backyard at the ball fields, like, and not bring your super high intense super perfectionist type mentality and try to implement that on such a young kid. Cause for me, it's a huge struggle. I, you know, I don't, I don't struggle with it. Cause I just do it.
0: <laughs> I, I'm like, like, you know what I mean? Like I, I, for me, like, I don't, it, it should be right every time. Like if you, you know, listen, you. I think future, future for example, he's, he's very talented. So I think one, one of the, my, one of my pet peeves, with coaching kids nowadays is that, Oh, it's okay to tie. It's okay to this. It's okay to that. Listen, I I think it's great for kids to get outside and if they don't win, cool, great. But if if a kid has a talent, a very special gift that's God given and they have that right. Um, You know, to me, it's our requirement to coach them and to train them to be the best version of themselves. If they mess up, like coach them, hey, hey, right there, boom, hey, do this, rank, should you do this? Now, don't over-coach them, but just give them positive language, give them some thoughts, and give them some clear coaching points. Give them one, don't give them five, but just give them that one, and boom, like one of the things I I really believe with children, and I did this with Future Today, is when when he pitches, for example, is like put fire through the glove. Like literally give them an image. And, and like throw, throw, throw that fireball like right through his glove, burn a hole in his glove. I don't need to tell him much more than that because if he's thinking about this and this technique and this and that, and that, he's a child. I think what's so important, though, is give them an image of who they are and what they can be. And I just, you know, like, for example, Future plays on this basketball team called the Bearcats. And what's really cool about it is their coach. Um, he's, he's a former military guy and all that kind of stuff. But every time they come to the sideline, he has all the kids run over, come on, run, 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 boom. And he goes, clap it up, clap it up, clap it up, clap it up, clap it up. Um, you know, so everybody claps it up. And, it, it and every time there's a timeout, every, it's that every time that energy is just like appear. And I think that he, he coaches them hard. And I love that. I, 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 like, I cannot stand if my, if my, if future or my, my kids get a, a coaching lesson and it's like, and they're doing something wrong. It's like, okay, next thing. Like, no, 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 we're going to fix no. it right. It's like, I, I, I have a thing, like, when we when, when go play golf, and maybe this kills people who to, who listen to this, but, like, I firmly believe, like, whenever I play golf, which I'm not a big, big, big golfer, but when I do go play golf, if I'm playing, and there's nobody right behind me, but we're just playing, if I didn't make the putt, like, I got to finish the putt. I'm sorry, but if you're going to play with me, I got to finish the putt. I'm not a big-time golfer, like I said, whatever, but if I'm training myself to think that I'm good and I'm, that I'm making that shot. Well, if it's a five footer, you still got to make it in the PGA tour. You know what I mean? So like, to me, if my son goes and plays golf, I want him to just make, make the freaking putt before you go to the next hole. Like, just do that for me. I don't care. It's, just do that. Like, that's it. Okay. Yeah. Now we can go.
1: It's you a know, great so I, lesson. Like, look, I mean, I feel like it could be like the title of a book, right? Fini- make the putt. It's like, finish, putt. finish what you start, finish what you yeah. start.
0: Yeah. So, to me, I just—I firmly believe that we—we're letting our kids just get away with stuff nowadays, and you know, and uh, I think we got to
1: coach them harder. Well, you should move to North Carolina and come play with me. I feel like we'd be—we'd so be on the same page. We'd get along. Also- just fine. Awesome. Uh, I don't know if everyone around here agrees with that or not, but that's a conversation from that episode. You brought up imagery. And, and as we said on our episode one, I know a good friend of yours, someone you've worked really closely with. He was just absolutely a superstar. Uh, Dr. Michael Gervais, world-renowned sports psychologist. I know he's, you know, he's worked with Seattle and he works personally with you over the years. And it's, it's very funny. So I have this quote written down and you mentioned imagery and, and, and Dr. Gervais said, he said, quote, one way to ac- accelerate progression of craft is to develop the skill of imagery. So to hear you just bring that up unprovoked, it, it just it just shows how much you've kind of embraced this whole idea of mindset and approach, and not only in your parenting style, but in your personal career and your journey and your family. Just speak a little bit more about what you mean by mindset and approach and how can we take those skills, right? People are sitting home listening to this. Well, it's easy for Russell Wilson to say, he's a professional athlete, he's older... Like, how can we take that mindset approach? A lot of the things that you were just talking about, and how can we implement that at an appropriate level for our children, for the kids we coach at the youth level? Well, I think there's there's, there's two major ways.
0: The first thing is language. What we allow ourselves to say as parents, as coaches, as as teachers, whatever it may be, what we say to, to our kids, to, to, to others, what we say to our, our, our classmates, our friends, or, you know, whatever it is, what, what we say controls everything. And then ultimately, our children hear that. So now, when I hear a kid at a, at a, at a baseball game, for example, it's like, oh, I just, I just stink. I just can't throw a strike. Well, where's that coming from? Where's that coming from? Most of the time, I can guarantee you, the, the mom or the dad over here to the right or left Right, who is their parent probably, or their friend, or guardian, whatever it may be? They're like they're probably in the stands, like ah, oh, come on, just throw a strike, you know. So there's there's correlation there. To me, our language in our homes uh, controls our language outside of our homes, controls our, our our atmosphere, and so I think that's one thing that I really believe, firmly believe is, you know, once again, th- th- just throw throw a fireball through the glove, throw a fireball through the mitt. It's just it's a positive forceful image for him to understand. Like I got a womb. Okay. So that's imagery to me. Second thing is, is that this, is that I, I've always wanted, I've always believed that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of storms, in the midst of everything you're going through in life, whether if it's your, your young kid in Seattle Children's Hospital with cancer, you're going through something, to be able to see yourself overcoming, um, to be able to see yourself healing, to be able to see yourself um, winning the obstacle, winning the game, winning the moment, winning the interview, winning the, winning the, the key play in the game, whatever it may be, it, you know, in sports, obviously, if you're up to the plate, if you're playing quarterback, if you're the tight end running the seam route, you know, there you go, and the ball's coming your way, well, it didn't just get there, right? You have to picture yourself and practice yourself being there often. And I think the best in the world, you know, I watch Steph Curry shoot, right? It's like you see him shoot these, you know, at the logo shots. He's been dreaming of that stuff forever. And, you know, as he, as he got older, he was able to just keep practicing it. And now it becomes normal. You know, it's like you get to see him go into the side and go to the side of the, um, of the stands and shoot from the stands and make it's it wild. You know, it's the best. I mean, come on. I'm like, it's what, crazy. What, like, how many times has he practiced that? Well, how many times, everybody talks about how many times he's practiced it. How many times has he thought about it? And that's, that's where the magic is. That's where the magic is. I think, you know, we, we have to be able to take the things, you know, and I think what's blocking our imagery nowadays is once again, I think this blocks our imagery um, and, and this can help our imagery or it can hurt it. And I think a lot of times we're so seduced by everything else going around us and our children and everything else. that they, They're they on this and they're on that and then they don't see themselves doing it. They don't, they may see others, which is a good thing. It's a good part of imagery, seeing others do it so you can see what it looks like. But you have to see yourself do it. If you don't see yourself doing, you'll never do it. And I think that's just a big part
1: of success. I, I think that's so. I just think it's so powerful. I think it's so. It's so fitting for for our journey here on You Think and and exactly all the resources that we're trying to provide our family, the families and our viewers. So, you know, just your insight and your approach and how you apply it not only to your to your career and to your path, but also now how you're kind of paying it backwards to. Raising your kids and 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 being the father and the man of your house is, is just super powerful. Well, I got three really quick things and I'm going to let you go. So they can be short answers. First thing that come to mind, we do this with all of our guests. Three before you go, what is something in youth sports that you wish was around or you wish that you knew when you were a kid that exists today?
2: Mm.
0: I think, you know, I would say more flag football. You know, when I was a kid, you know, there was tackle and this and that which is cool. But I think that, you know, I've been fortunate to be able to travel to Brazil, China, um, to be able to go, uh, to Europe and watch these kids play. Um, and what's been amazing Africa and what's been amazing. I'll never forget, um, both locations in China and Brazil. I remember that uh, when one particular girl actually said to me, she goes, she taps me on my shoulder and, and, uh, we were in Rio at the time. And, and, and she says to me, <clears throat> You know, and we are all this practice field. There's about 100 kids playing flag football at the time, 50s, 100 kids or so. And this girl taps me on the shoulder. She goes, you know, what? I, I, we have a problem. I said, what is the problem? She was like, well, you know, like here in Brazil, like we we feel like it's it's too expensive to play football. And I take that and I think about it. And I said, well, why, why, why do you think it's too expensive? She said, well, I see shoulder pads. I see thigh pads. I see knee pads. I see helmet. I see cleats. You know, and, and when we play, you know, soccer or football, you know, we see a ball and a goal. And that's it. Same thing with basketball, ball and a goal. And it made me think about NFL flag and how do we teach kids around the world how to play this, but not just around the world, even in our communities. When I think about the inner city and stuff and, and we see these places where it's like you know, they can't afford the ability to have a helmet and shoulder pads and this and that um, potentially. And the reality is, is that that's not what we need we need to teach the skills of football Um, to be able to play flag football is an amazing skill. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. Um, That's why, you know, being the chairman of NFL flag, there's an amazing leader with this. And his name's Izel Reese. He's an amazing, amazing guy. Um, He's been, you know, charging along with NFL flag and the whole NFL flag team. But to me, NFL flag is the way to teach the sport globally, to make it a global sport. And it's been, it's been really cool to be a part of And I I didn't really have that in Virginia. Um, We, we, we just, we just tackled
1: outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 we didn't play a lot of flag growing up. So I think that's super, I think that's super cool. And, and, and a great point The the next thing I have for you, talk to some parents out there. There's going to be, you know, thousands and thousands, hopefully of families that are be watching this parents raising their kids saying, all right, I see Russell Wilson. I love his energy. I love his messaging. I love what he stands for. All right, well give them one piece of advice that you would give parents, whether it's coming in a similar path behind you, maybe they have a high school kid who's, really athletic and he's starting to get looked at or, you know, whatever the case may be, whether it's a parenting advice or just an approach to youth sports, what's something that you would tell the families and the parents that are watching this?
0: Well, I, I think first of all, always encourage rather than discourage, you know, uh, this, that's the first thing I think in the midst of that is, is being able to control your language. You know, I, we have a company called Limless Minds, my brother and I. And we've been fortunate to work with Microsoft and Johnson & Johnson's and Bristol-Myers Squibb, some of the biggest companies in the world, but also some of the best athletes in the world. And we really firmly believe in neutral language, meaning speak the truth, right, but also to be able to enlighten with, with, with how to fix it. I think a lot of times is that we either give this false positivity up here or we give this extreme negativity down here. And what we do know is that 100% of the time negativity works, 100% of the time. So to be able to be in that middle category and to be able to, um, to be able to speak life into your children and to the people you coach or teach, I think it's so important. But also give them the truth. They deserve to earn the truth. They deserve to earn how to grow and how to learn the right technique and to hear that and to see that. And if we're not doing that, you're not being a very good coach, in my opinion. Uh, You're just feeding. You're
1: just being a cheerleader, and I think there's a big difference. I love that. Deserve the truth. I I think that's great. Um, Last thing. What do you see the big challenges in youth sports as you now navigate it as a parent, as someone who's kind of in on the you know, parenting, a young child who's just kind of starting this journey? Where do you see the challenges that need to be addressed going forward in the future for youth sports?
0: Well, I think, I think the biggest challenge is technology. You know, it's how do you how do you balance the, the love of technology and, and, and the need for technology, right? There's a massive need for technology because if our kids don't know how to use technology in 2040, you know, whatever, you know, in, in 2022 to 2040, they're going to be struggling for to find jobs, right? So, I but I think technology has been taking away from the idea of being outside and socializing, and so I think we're losing the social piece of sports and the 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 the, the high and low of that that rush that feeling. And I think that needs to be uh, figured out and balanced out. And I, ha- you, I think as parents, we need, all need to have plans of how to equal that out and to how that to, to make that a little bit more balanced. So we're not just being indoors all the time or not just being outside all the time. So I think that that's a real thing. Um, and I think ultimately, too, is I just think resources. Um, I think there's a lot of um, lack of resources to find great coaching. Um, I think there's also a lot of lack of resources. Um, to, to find other things. And so, you know, one of the things that I, I firmly believe in and I've even invested in is this company called Mojo and just different things that I do just to think about youth sports. And I think youth sports is obviously, I mentioned NFL flag girl. I think youth sports is, that's where all the fun is, man, as parents. And, and you know, even for our kids, to be able to go outside and play ball, like let's go. And let's just do one favor for me. Leagues, please stop inning games in a tie. Oh. Cause we'll go out there for two and a half hours in a game in a tie. So that, that would be the other thing too. If we could eliminate tie. <laughs>
1: ties and time limits, especially yep. in baseball, you know, we go yeah. into some of these tournaments and you, to play an hour and 20 minute, nine-year-old baseball game, you're oh. going to play three innings, four innings. I mean, I I'm with you on that ties and time limits drive me up the wall. So I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I actually yes. lied. This is my final question. I promise. We're, when we all tune in and hopefully I call a bunch of your games, this, this, I didn't get to call any of them last year. So hopefully year two now in Denver, I get to call some of your games. That would be a blast. Are we going to, are we going to see Denver now? Just let you be you and just go out and rip it. Coach, give me the ball. First play of the first quarter. I'll give it back to you when the game's over and I'm going to go out and I'm going to just rip it. Or is Nathaniel Hackey, i I'm sure those conversations you mentioned, they've been great. Like that's what I want to see as just a fan. And also as your friend, like I want to see you go somewhere where they just hand you the ball and say, go win the game. Like, can we expect that in Denver?
0: Well, I think what we can expect is a lot of, uh, a lot of showtime games and you'll be, you'll definitely be calling them. There'll be some good ones in AFC West. Listen, I I think it's for me, um, what's the most important thing. It's about winning, you know, whatever that means to be able to do that. I think part of that is, is to be able to do that, right. To go, and uh, take over the game and whatever it may be, you know, it's, 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 it's time to, for, uh, for that, that to happen, you know, game in and game out. And that, that'll definitely happen in this division for sure. Uh, I, I'm, listen, I, I'm, I'm excited just to be around some amazing guys, man. It's, it's not all about me. It's just about the people. And I had some amazing people and obviously Seattle and, and teammates, guys like DK and Tyler, I'm going to miss those guys like crazy, man. Those okay. guys I met mean, the Bobby Wagner I and mean, he's the greatest player I've probably ever played with, you know, just, uh, heart and soul of everything, Jamal Adams, Diggs. So I've been Dwayne Brown. You know, I've gotten to play with some amazing guys, um, and so I think I think now the you know, focus is to be able to to cre- create new bonds and to new connections, and also just go you know uh, for two point my, my of my career to be the best version of it. Um, you know, the best version of me and every day, and just go for it and just lo- continue to love what I do.
1: So hopefully, I get to put on a show. And go shine I, for you. I'll say it for you. I'll make sure when I call your game that I make sure I set the let's just let this guy play, man. Let's just let him go rip it. Cause I, I, and I and I mean this. I've played with a lot of guys. I played 14 years, I had a lot of teammates, a lot of guys who mean a lot to me. And I know we only overlapped for one. We we played against each other, which seemed like a hundred times, and only with each other, you know, for that one season. But I can honestly say, and I think it's important for our viewers to know, like, and I'm sure it came through in during this conversation, like you are as impressive the way you approached seeing you work on a daily basis. I always knew from afar, but then seeing it up close, really what your day-to-day routine and approach looked like you can hear and how you communicate everything you've shared with our audience today, man. It was a, it was a short year. It was a crazy year. It wasn't the year. I know I personally was looking forward to, but like being your teammate, becoming your friend, like getting a look at what makes you special and what makes you unique and, and to be, and you to take the time now to not only share that with me, but to share that with, our audience here at you think man it, it means the world to me and it means the world to our families your voice is as important as there is in in sports today and for you to kind of take your time and 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 resources away to to come speak with us today on you think man it, it means the world to me as your buddy and as your friend and, and former teammate everything so i i can't thank you enough man this was this was just an incredible conversation
0: well man i appreciate you man you you've been an inspiration um to be around such a brilliant mind of the game of football but also just just watching you with your family was really cool. you know, the, the few times they were out in Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> yeah. but, 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 um, but just, you know, how much your, your kids meant to you and know what you, you got, what you guys have gone through too, um, is really, a, a amazing inspiration. And, you know, like you said, we, we've had so many battles. Maybe you're catching that freaking seam route against us in the game. Oh. <laughs> um, but, uh, just, I, we've had so many amazing battles, so many amazing games against each other, but also to be in the same locker room with you was an honor. And, uh, Man, Yeah, I, I think, you know, you got to have this wild obsession, you know, and, you know, people always ask me that, you know, and I think a lot of people think that, you know, I'm overly busy or this or that. But people don't understand. I, I'm 24-7. I don't ever stop. Um, you know, I, I'm, you know, it's, it's um, you know, you always have to have your priorities right and you be able to be able to balance everything. And I, I got some amazing people that help me, but also, too, I think it's just I got this wild obsession for the game. And, uh, you know, when you have that wild obsession, you, you always want to be connected to to other people like that. And, um, you know, it's so true, you know, you, you, you're, you're, you are a great, great example of that. And uh, I've been fortunate to be around a lot of, you know, a handful of guys like you, but there's not a lot of guys like you, man, how, how you're able to do everything that you're able to do on and off the field. Uh, it's an honor. So I'm grateful for you, my friend.
1: I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much again, man. And, uh, this is going to be a treat for our audience. So and go, go back to that football party or baseball party, whatever it is. I know you got a bunch of kids outside the door, so go enjoy it. Go see your family. And uh, I look forward to seeing you soon, buddy.
0: All right, Greg, man. It's a pleasure being on here with you, man. appreciate you.
1: I mean, what a great conversation. I mean, what, one of the more insightful and interesting and intelligent players that I've ever had the chance to be on the same team with as a teammate or just to compete against, um, you know, across the field. And, I just learned to really respect Russ and really admire his game from afar. And then for one short season to be teammates and then become friends and really get to know him more as a player and as a person, and then to have him join us here today on you think, and and just to share his perspective is just such a pleasure. So I I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation and took as much out of it as we all did here at you think Um, we have some audience questions. And and for those questions, we're going to bring back. Tasha, Tasha, hello. Welcome back. Yes, uh, hello. I know each week our audience questions. We continue to encourage you guys. Send questions, topics you want us to explore. And each week we just continue to get more and more questions and more and more direction from our followers. So, Tasha, ask away.
2: Yeah, so one of the first questions we got from an audience listener says, does travel sports, so AAU basketball, travel baseball, do you think, Greg, that that helps to hinder the game or grow
1: the game. You know, I I think like anything, as we've found here through our, you know, through our work here at, at you think, I think it could be a little bit of both. I think if done right. And if, if done in the spirit of youth sports and done in the spirit of a lot of the things that we've uncovered here on these, you think the past few episodes, then I think no question, it helps grow the game. And, And the reason I say that again, just from living it personally through as a father and with my own kids, if we can match the level of competition, the level of commitment, the level, you know, what, what it takes to play for a particular team or league. If that matches the desire, the skill level, the interest level, the commitment level of the child, if those two things are in alignment, then it's a home run for everybody, right? So if you have a child that really seeks high level competition and he he or she has no problem you know practicing multiple times a week in a team environment maybe going to an extra skill you know skilled coach or a skill practice another sprinkled in here or there throughout the course of weekly prep and then play long tournaments on the weekend oftentimes they're out of town oftentimes it's a two day sacrifice for the entire family if you have a child that craves that and you have a child that can handle it and and it, and it really embrace it and grow with it then do it you know I'm a big believer in putting your child just slightly. If you think back to our first episode with Dr. Gervais, he had the 15% rule, put your child in something that's 15% further than their current abilities. So I think in that regard, travel sports can be so good, but it's not for everyone. And I think the biggest thing that I hopefully our followers understand and have learned through this journey is that's okay. There is a league, there is a team, there is an organization for everybody. And the, I, the, the goal of the parent is to not put the kid on the team or with the coach or with the organization that you think he should be, or he or she should be with, but where they belong, where they can thrive and where they can really get the time under task to grow and develop. So I think when done right, it's great. But I also think we have to understand where it's not done right, right? There's a ton of money now being involved in this, where the quote unquote travel ball or AAU basketball, I mean, that those words get thrown around and oftentimes it's just a local team that once everybody starts paying money, everyone just slaps the AAU or the travel word on top of it. But really, it's just a, it's just a team that you pay more money to be on. You're not getting better coaching. You're not facing better competition. And at the end of the day, you're not being developed. Development is the core of youth sports, the wins and the losses and the tournaments, all that is fine. But if along the way, your child is not getting developed at the individual skill Mentally, all those components, if they are not getting that development all around as both an athlete and as a kid, you need to find a new team. You need to find a new coach. You need to find a new organization, whatever it is. That's not the place for you. I don't care if your team wins every championship. That's not what's in the best interest long term for your child, as we've found here and, and talked a lot about. So to answer your question, um, Tasha, I think the answer could be both. I think when it's done right. It's incredible. I think the experiences these kids can have access to, and the, and the ability to develop relationships, and to compete at the highest level, and fail and overcome. But then I also think when it's done right, it's at the wrong coach, the wrong organization. It's done for the wrong reasons. It's done for the money or whatever it is, and the kids are not at the core, at the center of the of the approach. Then I think it definitely hinders not only the game, but I also think it hinders the individual child's ability to grow and develop.
2: Hmm. So this is really dependent on each child. Absolutely. Yeah. The situation
1: and the child need to match.
2: Right. Our second audience question is, I think probably from a coach or how do you handle stressful situations when you're coaching?
1: I think that's a really good question, you know, and I'll be honest, there's times and and I joke with some of the other families and, and even with my wife, I say, I'm more stressed coaching and watching the kids than I ever was as a player. And, and I've talked about that you know, on on this show multiple times. And, And the reason for that is as a coach at the, at the youth level, I feel an incredible amount of responsibility for the kids success. And when they don't have success, my immediate reaction feeling is I've done something to have them come up short, right? I'm failing them in some way by not preparing them to have a better performance or not be in a better position to find success on a regular basis. I need to reevaluate. I'm shortchanging these kids. Like that's my first reaction as a coach is that I'm failing them. And that's a, a lot of responsibility and it's a big burden. But at the end of the day, like I feel strongly about that. Like I believe in every single kid on my teams and the, and the responsibility I have to their parents and to them individually to get them better, to make them grow and make them challenged to make them accountable and learn hard work and all the different attributes that we've covered here on you think as far as what, what's at the core of what youth, what youth sports should be. So I, during the game, sometimes the stress can be a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I pace a lot. I have like a ball that sometimes I like hold and like rub. And I think depending on the situation, the message to the kids is very different. And, and I'll explain. I have a philosophy that in the games that are the blowouts in the games that your team is just better Those are the teams where you really, really hunker down and coach your kids hard, right? The score is not going to be an outcome. The wins and loss is not really a factor and be very easy to pull the foot off the gas and just say, oh, everything's fine because the outcome will be what we want. This is not an outcome based institution. Youth sports, youth sports is a process based institution where if the end result is what you want, that's great. So, in the games where my team is better, or in the games that the team I'm affiliated with, or that my kid's playing in, he can just roll out there, he or she can roll out there and just win or find success. In my opinion, if I'm a youth coach, and my advice to you would be, those are the games you got to crack down. Those are the games where you can't take anything for granted. Those are the games where you got to coach and correct the little things how you leave the dugout, how you cheer for your teammates from the sideline, how you enter the gym, warm up lines, whatever the sport is. The games that are very stressful the games that are competitive, the games that are going to be nip and tuck, you're playing another really good team. Those are the games where it's encouragement. Those are the games where you try to limit the stress. Don't add to the stress, right? You have your stress, the parents watching the kids. Those are the games where it's encouragement. We'll fix the mistakes after it's encouraged. It's correct on the fly. It's continue to work. Hey, let's keep playing. We'll worry about it after. So I think the game scenario changes the coaching approach. And I just believe that the more stressful it gets, the more we have to tone it down as coaches and not add, the more the game is relaxed and in hand. It's our job now to crank it up and have the kids always playing at that same level. Regardless, we always say it's not who we play, it's how we play. And I think that approach allows that kind of baseline to always remain consistent and the kids get used to operating in those circumstances.
2: Hmm. The second part of that question was, how do you help a young player cope with stress? I think you kind of hit a little bit of it with if it's a high-stress game, give them that encouragement that they need. Don't up the pressure, I guess, for them. Or do you also give them, like, mechanisms or tools to deal with their stress during a game?
1: You know, you know what I think is a really good way for kids to get used to being stressed is to operate in those scenarios more often. And, and, and often I think the best way to do that is in practice you know, like we, when we run our teams, you know, my last message to the kid every day and whether, you know, it's baseball season right now. So I use that as an example, the hardest ground ball you should ever field is the one I hit you in practice on Wednesday. The most challenging fly ball that you catch should be in Wednesday's practice. The harder, the intensity of the practice, the more intense, the more you're being coached, the more pressure you need to feel that all week. If I make everything so casual, and everything's so easy along the week, and we find ourselves in a six inning just battle on Saturday or Sunday, and you're not accustomed to working in those environments, of course your stress is going to get the best of you. You're not used to operating in those circumstances. So I think we need kids to get used to being uncomfortable. We can't make every single thing they do easy, comfortable, quiet, routine. It's okay. Because now all of a sudden, when the circumstances present themselves differently because we're playing against a really good team or in a really hard tournament or there's a million people watching or the crowd's cheering or whatever, you, and all of a sudden the external factors elevate, that can't change us. The kids have to be used to always operating the same way, whether it's a calm, whether it's really, really intense. They can't change. Like We can't let our surroundings alter our approach. The only way to do that is to learn to operate in those scenarios. And, I, and I, I just believe wholeheartedly in that we don't change how we play based on who we play and the environment in which we play in. We always play the same way. The environment around us can change, but it doesn't ever alter us because we're used to competing. If it's easy, it's easy, but it will never be harder than what our kids are used to operating in. So there's nothing that's gonna surprise them, nothing that's gonna fluster them. And then if it's anything below that, then it's gravy. Then it's a piece of cake. We got nothing to worry about. So I, I, believe, I believe wholeheartedly in, in, in not in trying to always form, like, here's the expectation baseline of how we operate, how we practice, how we play, how we coach, how we do everything. And then no matter where we find ourselves when the competition starts, nothing's going to catch us off guard. Nothing's going to surprise us. Because we're always competing at that level. We're always trying to go out and play the best of our ability individually and collectively. We don't let who we play or the situation we find ourselves in alter that approach.
2: That's good. You're setting the temperature when you play the team. Always. That's good. Well, that's all the audience questions we had this week. And you could submit more audience questions via Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, um, at Greg Olson, or at Youth Inc. And yeah.
1: Appreciate it, Tasha. You are always a welcomed addition here on, uh, on our A and C blocks here on you think. And as Tasha said, continue to engage with us. Uh, this has been an absolute blast. We love hearing from our fans, our followers every, every week we are growing like crazy. And, uh, the feedback I was at a field, Tasha, you're going to like this. I was at a field last weekend with my, with my younger son, um, playing in a tournament and I had like three or four different families of different teams walk up to me between games and being like, you don't know us. We've never played you before. But we listen to your podcast and so many of the families on our team love it. And I'm like, that's pretty cool, right? Like that's awesome. Other youth families, other youth teams are starting to kind of catch word of what we're doing and the message that we're trying to share. And uh, I think it's really resonating. So we look forward to seeing everybody next week. Tasha, thank you for joining us. And uh, so please rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week.